0: When I made the decision to document the storage papers in the form of a podcast, I found Anchor to be the easiest way to create it. By using Anchor, I'm able to share this show with you absolutely free. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place, and you can produce the show right from your phone, tablet, or computer. Their easy-to-use creation tools allow anyone with the app to record and edit a podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere podcasts can be found. That includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And let me know when you do so I can check out your show. This podcast frequently contains graphic depictions and other topics or material that may be considered sensitive for some listeners. Nightmares, anxiety, and or difficulty sleeping may ensue. Discretion is advised. You are listening to The Storage Papers. Episode 24 A Nightmare on Redwood Avenue. This week's document is a nearly empty black and white composition notebook. Only the first 20 pages or so have any writing in them at all. There's nothing inside to indicate its purpose or who it belongs to, and when I first started reading it, I assumed it was just a creative writing exercise from a college student. Or maybe I had just hoped that, if it had just been that, someone's homework, it wouldn't have been in the storage unit at all. While much about Ron remains a mystery, through examining these documents I'd like to think I've come to learn quite a bit about his mindset and methodology. And this wouldn't fit unless he thought there was something to it. Still, I'd find it much more comforting to think of it that way. Just the workings of an active imagination. It wasn't until I reviewed a copy of a police report that was tucked into the back page that I realized what it actually was. But more on that later. first thing I know. My legs are a blur and my chest burns as I try to inhale more oxygen than my lungs can hold. I'm only vaguely aware of the burn, though. Just like I realize my legs are beginning to feel rubbery, and I'm on the cusp of misplacing my foot into a twisted ankle, but that's not what's on my mind. What keeps me placing each foot further into the unknown is what's behind me. At least I hope they're behind me. I don't dare look back though, I can't. Taking any ounce of attention away from the task at hand, even for a split second, could spell the end for me. I know this to be more true than any religion or creed, so I keep running. I see a white light in the distance, just like I did last night, and the night before, and every night as far back as I can remember since I was a child in a life that seems like a faraway dream but I keep running. Maybe this time will be different. Although it seems impossible to hear anything over my gasping breath or pounding heart, I hear something that's not quite footsteps. It more closely resembles a waterfall, or a crashing wave, as that's more similar to what's actually there. It's like a tidal wave of darkness, ready to overtake me, and suck me out into a sea of, I don't know, I don't want to know. And if I can make it to the light, maybe I won't have to know. I can see that there are actually multiple lights. I risk a glance at my surroundings as I press on. There's a thick scape of trees to either side, and overhead gnarled branches block out the moonless sky, all working together to create a fog of varying shades of gray and black around me. They could be running beside me, or even ahead of me, Waiting for me to emerge from the woods to reveal that there was never any escape to begin with. But I know for certain they're behind me, so I keep running. I break past the woods and see that I'm in a small town now. I know this place. I don't know why, but it's instantly familiar. I don't have time to think about it, though. I can't keep running. Not now, anyways. I have to stop. I need time for the burn to go away so I can make another break for it. Without pausing as the ground changes from white and dead grass flat against the dirt to the hard black pavement of a small street, I turn left at the first intersection and glance back at the woods. They haven't emerged from the tree line yet. Thank God for small miracles. Every house has an open door. Every house except one. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's there. I continue down the street as it bends right, and without hesitation, run into the 8th house on the left. I haven't been in this one before. The black door, like almost all the others, is open, but that's the only way I can get in. Knowing the outcome before I try, I yank at the door handle in vain. It won't budge, it never will. After pulling with all the strength in me and making no progress, I pause. I can hear sound in the distance, an almost bassy squeaking like wet glass is being rubbed. The sound cuts through the night air. I have to hide, close the door or not. I walk past the entryway and further into the house. Stepping as quickly and quietly as I can, but I feel like each step on the white tile floor creates a thunderous echo. Entering the kitchen, I see another open door. An unfurnished wooden staircase leads down into darkness. I hesitate, looking around for better options. I see a large chef knife laying on the gray marble counter and try to pick it up. It's like trying to lift a two-ton brick. I know it is futile. I turn back to the basement door and reluctantly enter. Every step creaks and groans under my weight, as if protesting an intruder. There's no light down here, and I can just make out two more doors at the far end of the barren room by the faint light of the kitchen. I just took a step towards these rooms when the kitchen light flickers, and I freeze. My time is up. I spin and, in two swift steps, place myself underneath the staircase where I crouch. The light continues to flicker and I hold my breath. My breathing is the least of my concerns, though. My heart may as well be broadcasting Morse code. Hey, I'm over here, under the stairs. Come get me. I place a hand in my chest, willing in vain my heart to slow to a quieter pace. It enters. There is no squeaking of steps. I am not even sure that it touches them. All I hear is a sopping wet sound, like someone is squeezing slime against something as it descends into the basement. I see its vague, dark form between strobes of the light. I can feel its presence suck the air from my lungs and turn my fingertips to ice. This is the closest they had ever been. I know it's not a matter of if, but when, it will find me. It pauses at the foot of the stairs, and I silently pray it won't turn to see my eyes peeking between the steps. Instead, moving at a maddeningly slow pace, with head cocked to the side, it begins exploring the basement along the wall, its tongue extended against the cold stone as it does so. A trail of thick saliva drips behind it. I know what I have to do. I have to wait for it to get to the other side. It will go into the rooms. It has to. That's where I was going to hide. That's where, logically, I should have. Not out in the open. When it goes in, I'll make a break for it. It is my only shot. But I have to wait. I have to wait for it to go into the room and I have to pray it's the only one of them in this house. I stare at it more intently than I'd ever looked at anything before as I slowly begin to stand up, ready to move as soon as it is out of my eyeline. My peripheral vision is gone. All I can see is this shadow and the long tongue that hangs to the side. My head contacts the stair above me as I rise, and it spins around. I see its eyes. After that, there's a blank page, then another page that just has three words etched deeply into the paper in harsh scrawl. Almost has me. The writing resumes again on the following page. I'm running. The town is behind me now, but it won't be for long. The lights already offer no illumination to the brush that flies past me. I'm in the woods again. I don't know how I made it last night. It must have turned into morning when our eyes met. It's the only thing that makes sense. But here I am. I'm not sure how I've been able to keep this up. Every day I'm exhausted. And for what? To do it all over again the next night? I can't do this anymore. But my feet kept moving. I see the white light. I know if I can keep up this pace, the light will splinter off into more lights and then a small town will form. If I don't, the darkness will overtake me. I keep running. I once again emerge from the black mouth of the woods and feel the texture between my feet change from earth to hard pavement that sends shockwaves up my bones with each pounding step. I turn left at the first intersection and look back to the tree line where what appears to be a black mist is emerging. They're moving faster tonight. I continue running down the street, knowing instantly exactly where I am. But why? Why is this place so familiar? I can't go back into the same house as last night. They'll know. I have to find somewhere else to hide as I recover. Somewhere to last the night. But I've been in almost every house by now. They know all of my hiding places. Then I see it. The white closed door in a sea of open black doors. I won't be able to open it. It won't move, but it beckons me. I move towards it, and the houses on either side of me begin to rumble. Then, one by one, They collapse as the ground shifts. The world rotates, and I find myself walking upwards at an almost impossible angle, struggling with every step. I see every structure around me fall and amid a cloud of black dust in their wake. I drop to my hands and knees, beginning to crawl. I look at the white door before me, seeming to grow even further away. It suddenly occurs to me. I realize what this is now, why I know this place. This is where I grew up. Nobody had believed the stories I told of monsters licking their way through town, My dad told me it was just a bad dream. Maybe it was. Or maybe this is just where the monsters lived. Maybe when you fall asleep, you fall into their world. And when they find you... I don't know. I don't know what they'll do to me, but I don't want them to find me. I don't want to be trapped here with them. The earth on either side of the road begins to fall away silently. This won't slow them down though. I don't have to look to know, for every inch I crawl, they've easily glided afoot. All it's done is limited my escape routes and made me that much easier to see. In my peripheral vision I could see movement. It's black, but it's not them. I can barely differentiate anything from the black, starless sky, but I recognized the rectangles as doors. All the doors I had run past and been unable to budge. All the doors that had not offered shelter, but an invitation to all that is evil to come in and find me. To take me away. They surrounded me, creating a tunnel of black, useless doors that floated with no passion just indifference as to the fate of the creature that was now crawling for its life, to the white door to my childhood home that would refuse to offer salvation. But I have to try. What choice is there? This is my fate. I can hear them now. The familiar rushing noise. My hand touches the door that is now almost directly above me, and I begin to cry as I reach for the handle. There is no give. I try to yank on it, but I have no strength, and even if I did, I don't know if it would make a difference. Beyond the door I can hear strains of muffled yelling followed by a crash, then more screaming. I slowly, with great effort, turn and rest my back against the closed, white door. Of course, it was never going to open. They're not far away now. I can see the rough pavement slice their tongues as they move towards me, a trail of blood and saliva in their wake. There is no longer any urgency in their motions. And why should there be? They know I'm not going anywhere. It was always going to come to this. The white door the only place in the world that offers protection, it would never allow me in. It's just the illusion of shelter, a false hope. The trauma that occurred there as the town stood idly by would always keep me out. Everyone had heard my pleas for rescue, but here we are, finally resting for a moment against the closed door. Maybe if I'm still here tomorrow, I can find a way to bring some matches or something into this world. I don't know how that would work, but this door and everything behind it offers nothing to me. I don't need to remind myself of it anymore. It won't save me. It never made me stronger, despite what I wanted to believe. And thanks to these creatures growing ever closer, it certainly won't have the chance to kill me. It doesn't belong here. It has to go. I may be running out of time, and I may never escape this place, but for these last few moments that I have, I can take back everything that was stolen as a child. I can finally move forward, even if it's into the darkness of this world. At least I will be moving away from this door. The air around me is now being warmed by their hot breath as the last few feet are removed from between us. Even if, by some miracle, it turns to morning before I feel their tongues on my skin, they are mere inches away, and there's no chance at all of making it through another night. They have me. They finally have me. The next page just has two words on it, but they fill the entire page. Tomorrow night. The rest of the pages are blank. I double-checked to make sure I wasn't missing anything. That's when I found the copy of the police report tucked in between the last page and the back cover that unfortunately shed some light on what I'd just read. Officer Daniels and Hears entered the apartment at approximately 10.30 a.m., responding to a request for a wellness check from a resident's employer due to multiple absences from work and seeming to display paranoid behavior that had been growing worse recently. The resident was found in bed, unresponsive to stimuli. There did not appear to be any drug use involved aside from a prescription sleep aid on a nightstand next to a notebook. The notebook appeared nonsensical. However, when contacting the doctor who'd written the prescription, he stated that the resident had been experiencing regular nightmares and, aside from the sleep aid, had recently begun a dream journal to analyze what happened in their mind every night. The doctor confirmed that the amount of pills remaining indicated the resident had been taking them as prescribed. The tox screen confirmed this, ruling out an overdose as the cause for the comatose state. The door was locked and foul play is not suspected. This is a medical matter clearly requiring no intervention from law enforcement. Due to this, the case is being closed. The resident, whoever that was, had been experiencing bad dreams. From the sound of things, this had been going on for a long time. After reading about their last two dreams in their journal entries, I can't imagine living through that every night from childhood, only to wake up and find whatever traumatic reality they lived in offering no reprieve. I also can't help but to wonder where this town is that they grew up and if it really exists. Worst of all, is the fact that these creatures in the dreams bring back memories of a single entity I read about in a previous episode, the window licker. I have to wonder now if this may be some sort of species that exists in the world we enter in our dreams, and perhaps the poor girl in the previous episode had encountered the one that managed to escape into a place between sleep and consciousness. If they do reside in that world, How long will it be before you or I encounter them? There's still much science hasn't told us about those who fall into a comatose state. After reading this, I can't help but think it never will explain those things fully, for the simple reason that it can't explain the supernatural. Either way, before I fall asleep tonight, I'm going to try to make my peace with... I'm not sure, myself, someone, the universe. I'd encourage you all to do the same. You just can't ever be sure that you won't encounter something uninvited in your dreams, or someplace in between. Thank you for listening to The Storage Papers. Please visit our website at thestoragepapers.com where you can find all of the latest information about the show, including our social media accounts and various other ways you can connect with us. This episode was written by Nathan Lunsford and performed by Jeremy Enfinger. Special thanks to Nathan Lunsford for web design and episode art. Sound effects and music by Zapsplat. Episode music by Cody Ditzenberger. Additional episode music by Kevin McLeod at incomptech.com licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. I'll be back very soon with another case file for you.